All right, greetings everyone and welcome to the Library is Open podcast where we discuss technology trends in the library tools that librarians use every day. My name is Jesse Zaro and joining us today is Angie Drobnik Holen, Editor-in-Chief at PolitiFact. Today we'll be talking about misinformation. So welcome Angie. Thanks for having me, Jesse. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, we're so excited to listen. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at PolitiFact. Well, I'm editor-in-chief at PolitiFact, so I direct our coverage, I assign fact checks to reporters, I edit copy, I make sure that uh, all the trains are running on time and the fact checks are leaving the station in a timely manner, and uh, I get to have a window on American politics and political conversations in a way that's very substantial, it's very policy-oriented. And um, we're fact-checking, telling readers what they've heard, whether it's true or not, and providing sources to back it up. Awesome. Now, one of my first questions I always ask is how you got into the library world. And I know that you have an MLIS. What drove you to, uh, to get that? And did you ever have dreams of working in a library or did you kind of go on this path to think about the information side of things? Well, I had um, a, a pretty unique story, although um, uh, I think I started in journalism. So that's where okay. I started. And I was doing a lot of reporting. Um, at the time, I was a business reporter. And um, I, I was having a lot of, of, of stress around meeting deadlines and things like that. So I, um, I had... I got some career counseling and they gave me what they call the strong interest inventory test, okay. which is basically a test of your interests. And the number one profession was librarian. So I thought, huh. Then I ended up moving to a new city and job hunting again. And the local newspaper had a job opening for a newspaper librarian. Oh. And I thought, huh. <laughs> So I actually applied for the job and got it. it at the time, it, uh, it did not require an MLS. And mm -hmm. the hiring manager really liked the fact that I had been a reporter. Mm -hmm. and, and my work in the newspaper library, this was at the Tampa Tribune, was, um, it was twofold. It was a lot of research uh, for the reporters who were working on their stories. Mm -hmm. And it was um, at the what we called at the time enhancement which was um, we would take the text of the newspaper stories that day mm -hmm. and prepare them for an electronic archive. So this was, a, this was around 2002. So like at the time, the methods for, for, for basically storing text were not as advanced as they are now. And so you needed somebody um, who could really look over the stories for quality control, fix headlines. We were adding subject terms by hand. Yeah. There wasn't an algorithmic way to do that. And so once I started that, I really enjoyed it and went, decided to go to library school uh, and went part-time at University of South Florida um, from about 2005 to 2010. And I just really loved, I loved library school. Um, I had had a master's in journalism previously. So this was my second master's. And at the time I was thinking that I would stay in newspaper libraries and with the, I, with the career goal of managing my own newspaper library. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, I think we all are well aware of, of what's happened to newspapers. Yeah. Um, one of the first casualties of newspapers 
losing their stature as far as generating revenue from advertising. One of the first casualties was the newspaper library. So even the newspapers that are still existing and doing robust journalism, they're still like the news library aspect has gone away. So, um, so when I was in the news library back in 2007, the idea for PolitiFact came up and I just immediately loved it because it seemed to combine a lot of aspects of library science with yeah. journalism. So, so that's when I went back into the journalism side and um, it's been, it's been, uh, it's been really great. I, I love talking about like non-traditional roles or where, where people don't think you can use a library degree. And this is like a perfect example of, you know, it's not a public or an academic library, but it's special. And this is just a way of, I'm coming back to our misinformation, that you can use your degree to, you know, kind of build that researching level and know which resources to, you know, choose and, and go through, which brings me to my next question. What are some of the tools that you use to help organize and, you know, keep all of the information that you have accurate or, you know, make sure you're going to a source that is, you know, trusted, um, you know, for PolitiFact? Yeah, well, like, I got a couple of really wonderful skills from library school that helped me with that. Mm -hmm. um, the first thing... I got was it just incredible search skills. Yeah. I mean, everybody thinks that they can search the internet because if you type words into Google, you'll get results back. <laughs> <laughs> but I think as all of us uh, research, uh, as all of us librarians know, and especially the reference librarians, it does take some special skill yeah. and knowledge to target searches to get relevant results back. So I I learned that um, library school taught us me a lot about authoritative information about like mm -hmm. how do you get websites and and know that they are credible or that they have vetted the information um, and it's things like what is the sourcing um, where do they say they get their knowledge from mm -hmm. um, shady websites are always very vague about that yep um, and then like when I was in library school I was just exposed to all these like incredible authoritative databases and sources um, for good information. And I just, um, in some ways, just like the breadth of knowledge about the information universe, like knowing how LexisNexis works, knowing yeah. what Factiva is, knowing where, what JSTOR is, knowing what a peer reviewed journal means and why that's important. I mean, I either learned or was reiterated in in library school about the importance of those things. And, um, and then that's still how I um, still approach these things, you know, a lot of lateral searching. Like this looks like an incredible, a, this looks like a, a trustworthy source. Let me see what other people are saying about it. Yeah. You know, when yeah. we spent a lot of time at PolitiFact and we have a, um, a media literacy um, project called MediaWise, we're all at the Pointer Institute in St. Petersburg, Florida. And MediaWise teaches, for media literacy reasons, lateral searching. And all it means is like you're opening up another window and you're searching for information about the information. Yeah. And I think that's like a key librarian trick to the point, like we almost don't even think about it. We just do it. We just and, do it. You know, so um, like right now, I feel like um, the misinformation world has been evolving and I feel like like 
I feel like I was born at a very particular time to get to see the internet develop from like, I mean, I remember no internet, you know, yeah, yeah. the first computer I ever saw was my dad bringing home this, this portable suitcase looking thing. And it ran on DOS. Yeah. Floppy disks. Yeah. So like, yes. (laughs) So it goes way back. So I've seen misinformation come on the internet and it really exploded with the rise of social media because that gave it the technology it needed to spread and achieve its different goals, which like none of them are very positive. But um, so uh, seeing misinformation online, it's like, it's not credited, it's not sourced. um, It's uh, like, when I say it's not credited, there usually are not bylines. Sometimes they don't even have publication dates on it. Mm-hmm. Um, when they're making their claim, it's like sources, they'll literally say like sources say, well, what sources? They don't, yeah, say. They don't say. So, um, so identifying misinformation right now is we spend a lot of time on that at PolitiFact. It's a big concern of ours. And um, I do think fact-checking is making a difference, but it's more of an, of a problem to be managed rather than solved. I mean, I think about it like exterminators, like, yeah have to call them out to your home every so often you know it's not like you're gonna be like oh I called the exterminator once why are the bugs back you know yeah Yeah. so uh I saw on your website that you have a partnership with Facebook and TikTok to try and help slow like the spread of of misinformation online can you talk a little bit about that what y'all do you know to help yeah, the Facebook project is the older project and, okay. and more um, com- it has more like depth and complexity to it. Mm-hmm. The TikTok partnership is relatively new. Okay. Um, and so they're they're pretty different. So let me I'll tell you about Facebook, then I'll tell you about TikTok. So okay. Facebook was started after the 2016 election um, when Facebook got a lot of attention for all the misinformation that was on the platform. And uh-huh. What they did was they created a way for fact checkers to have access to um, to things that people said was misinformation. So I, not everyone has noticed it, but if you're a fit regular Facebook user and you're looking at your newsfeed and you see something shady, you can report it and you can say that you think that it's misinformation. Uh-huh. Um, all of that goes to a, a, a kind of a... a internal queue, we call it. And the fact checkers get to look at it. And it looks like the worst newsfeed you've ever seen. <laughs> I can't imagine. Yeah, it's it's kind of wild. And yeah. so we, we select fact checks that we want to fact check based on um, the, the topicality in the news and also how viral it is. Because mm-hmm. Facebook gives us little signals that say like, this is super viral. This is spreading really fast or- okay or only three people have seen this and it's not spreading. Yeah. Um, so then we write a fact check report and publish it so everyone can see it. And then we go and we um, we tag the, in. we go to the bad news queue and we tag the post with our fact checks. Mm-hmm. And after that, a couple of things happen. Um, typically Facebook will um, depress the post down people's news feeds. So they're not taking it down, but like the average user probably won't see it okay. when they're scrolling. And they put a, a shading over it that says uh, something along the lines of independent fact checkers have said this information is false. Are you sure you want to see it? 
So can, mm-hmm. have you seen these? I, I was just going to say, I think I've seen that. I've seen that before where it's like shaded out. I can remember now that you're talking about it. I can remember seeing something like that. Yeah. And if yeah. People, people can click through and see the original post or they can click through and see our fact checks. Yeah. And, um, and that's how the program works. Now I should emphasize it's not Facebook's only program, mm-hmm. like especially la- the past 12 months, um, political, um, PolitiFact does this fact checking, but Facebook has other policies. Like there's some information they will just take down like mm-hmm. around COVID or around um, election misinformation. And depending on how, har- if, if Facebook considers the information very harmful, they have policies where they just take it down. Okay. So sometimes the fact checkers get blamed for having stuff taken down, but it's usually not fact checking that's that, that has co- content totally removed. It's usually those other policies. So it's a, it's a, it's the Facebook world is pretty complicated as far as um, all the different types of misinformation that Facebook's addressing and how they address it. And the fact checking is one piece of it. Okay, interesting. Yeah, now the TikTok uh, project is very different and um, TikTok's a really different platform than Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. I'll assume everyone knows how Facebook works, but TikTok are, are just little videos. Yeah. Um, and when we first started, I was like, um, it's typically known for videos of people dancing to music. And so when we were first approached, I was like, what, are we going to fact check people dancing? But there's a whole other world of TikTok where like, essentially people are looking at the camera and reading like the, the, they're kind of, they're not they're basically saying the same kind of misinformation that you would see on Facebook. So sometimes okay. it's almost like someone is reading a post out loud and that's the TikTok video. And so we fact check that with TikTok and with, we have a, um, we have an internal database with TikTok where we tell, like they give us posts and we'll say like, we, yes, this is misinformation. No, this is not misinformation. Um, this is likely misinformation or we can't tell. Yeah. So we feed that information back to TikTok. And then TikTok apparently has their own like content moderation and, and they make their own decisions about um, how they treat the information and based on fact checking, but also other signals and they'll move appropriately there. And um, uh I, TikTok is looking at different ways to handle it, but typically, the, if a con, if the content is is violates their their internal policies, they just remove it. Interesting. Yeah, I I was I I didn't know that this that y'all worked or partnered with them together. And when I saw that, I was like, this is great because I often see people sharing things that I know are definitely not true and. I've privately messaged people and said, what you shared is definitely not correct information. And I will share the correct link with them as an inner librarian coming out and being like, this is, you know, incorrect. So I'm glad that there's a partnership back there that's able to kind of, how can I say this? Like herd the masses or, you know. Yeah. Although interestingly, I will tell you academic research shows that a friend correcting someone is more Worse. has more impact. Oh, so you're doing good. Oh, good. <laughs> you're doing good to correct people because it's like your friend sees it, your friends see it, your little community group sees it. And it's yeah. so it feels like it's fact checking from the community rather than those mean old fact checkers out there and somewhere in cyberspace <laughs> saying it's wrong. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And the program has a lot of benefits because first off, like the, the platforms compensate us for our work as they okay, should. Good. So it's kind of yeah. like a vendor contract. So we get money that can support our, our purely political fact-checking and our public interest fact-checking. Yeah. Um, then it helps them clean up their platforms as well. And, um, and I think it just, it, it's just, it's, it helps us get fact checking in front of people who aren't necessarily looking for it, but probably should see it. Yeah. You know, but it's also controversial, you know, we get um, a good amount of hate mail from it as well. Uh, yeah. People saying like, you're censoring me. How dare you? You fact checkers think you know everything. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Which, hey, the libraries see the same thing about censoring information. Um, a little bit to talk a little bit more about libraries. Um, I see PolitiFact show up on library websites, like where they're telling their community users, patrons, you know, students, faculty about PolitiFact. I've seen it on, you know, LibGuide pages and community resources, you know, to really help patrons distinguish between rumors and, you know, the truth. Are there any ways that libraries can connect with PolitiFact or work together to, to educate their users? Well, I think most of our relationships with libraries have been fairly informal, just that mm -hmm. kind of like, or maybe I should say kind of a mutual fan club. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, one of the, we do a couple of things at PolitiFact internally that I think appeal to, to libraries. Like first off, all of our fact checks are archived as part of a database. So people- oh. If people know how to search for it, they can find every fact check we've ever done. Now it's 18,000 fact checks. So it's quite a, a corpus of information. Yeah. And like, um, it, but, but we like the whole site is an archive. So mm -hmm. that's the first thing. Then we list all of our sources. Uh -huh. um, as far as working with libraries, um, I sometimes I get invitations to speak at libraries. That's great. Um, usually to the public. So a lot of these libraries have kind of like, I don't know, I guess I'd call them night at the library events and yeah. authors or someone talking about a civic issue in the community or whatever. And I've mm -hmm. done, I've done those um, both in Florida when I lived there and now um, a lot of the libraries in Northern Virginia, um, I visit them um, and the libraries do link to us, but we don't really have like um, formal uh, programs. I think like and I think it's been really interesting living in this networked world because like, I would think we should have formal, yeah. but like, what would they look like? What, you know, it's just like, we still have a lot of distinctions yeah. between, um, between the different communities, like the PolitiFact readership doesn't perfectly overlay with the library community, but there's yeah. a lot of synergies there. There's a lot of similar ways of thinking. Yeah. And, um, but it's in some ways like um, choosing partnerships in a networked world is it's it's really it can be really complicated and mm -hmm. what are in everybody's interests and what we find the resources to do because one thing that journalism and libraries have in common a great deal is we're often struggling for resources yeah. to carry out our mission yeah. But Especially PolitiFact, we we started at the Tampa Bay Times newspaper, mm -hmm. but we moved to the Pointer Institute, and we are a nonprofit newsroom. So we do have these business agreements, but they're all in the service of sustainability. Yeah. Similarly, libraries don't have a they're not they're not driven by um, 
a profit motive and you know it's like it's a community service and and trying to find resources for um public interest work is is still challenging in this world although i think politifact is doing pretty well yeah i i often thought about like even just like co-presenting with librarians and educating users about how to you know spot misinformation and like doing a lateral search to you know find out what is wrong that could be very beneficial so it's nice to hear that you have done some of these presentations before and our media literacy group MediaWise, is actually pursuing partnerships with libraries right now so oh, great I'm, I'm not sure where that's going to end up but um yeah very much so because it's yeah. like i think um I mean, one of the things that I love about libraries is there's there's still um, a basically a trusted community resource. Yeah, I don't think I think like I mean, we're kind of in this weird space where public trust in all kinds of institutions is down across the board. Mm -hmm. But I I haven't checked the public polling lately. But the last time I checked, libraries and librarians are still fairly highly rated as far as trustworthiness. Whereas I think journalism needs more help. <laughs> in our, and like, and PolitiFact yeah. does do a lot of things to try and, and build trust yeah. with our readers, especially around our transparent sourcing. Yeah. But we always use more help. Yeah. Earlier when we were talking about, you know, thousands and thousands of results, one of my favorite quotes is, Google can bring back thousands of results, but librarians will bring back the best result or the most accurate result. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. So true. Um, I saw in 2009, the PolitiFact team won the Pulitzer Prize and shortly after launching in 2007, um, I, I can tell you're really passionate about what you do. Like, how did that moment feel when you all won? Oh, it was amazing. It was amazing. And it was beyond what we expected. I mean, a, a, a Pulitzer for journalists, it's, it's the highest honor in journalism. Yeah. And we had a lot of passion for the project, but it, it was funny because back then, um, my day-to-day -day work at PolitiFact, I was doing with another reporter named Rob Farley, and our editor was PolitiFact's founder, Bill Adair. Uh -huh. And he, he had told us he had, had entered us in the Pulitzers um, and that the Tampa Bay Times, the newspaper, had approved that. And Rob and I just looked at each other and we were like, that's a really nice idea, but we are never going to win. This project <laughs> is too, di too different. It's too new. Um, yeah. Lo and behold, the Pulitzer board appreciated it. And, and we did win. And it was a it was a very happy day. And I, I try not to get too into the idea of prizes because yeah. I, I mean, one of the things that I, again, libraries and librarians and journalists have in common is being mission driven. Yeah. Um, but that kind of recognition is really nice. And it really helped to get PolitiFact on the map, journalistically yeah. speaking. So yeah. like after we won the Pulitzer, we didn't have to like, like before the Pulitzer, we'd call up like a congressman's office and try to reach the press secretary and they'd be political what who are you again and after the pulitzer we didn't have to do that anymore yeah really nice yeah that's great well um i want to ask one final question and that is what are you reading or listening to 
Oh, interesting. Uh, <laughs> well, reading, I am reading Barack Obama's memoir, mm -hmm. The Promised Land, um, which is really interesting to read because I, I covered, that was the, that was the campaign. He starts with his 2008 campaign. Actually, okay. he starts even before that, but it's, it's primarily the story of the 2008 presidential campaign and the first part of his presidency. And that's stuff I covered as a reporter. Yeah. So reading it from Obama's point of view and um, with what he is, um, the way he saw things is, is pretty, is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, and like, you know, he's writing about stuff as history that I'm like, wait, I lived through that. That can't be history. Now. But it, you know, I mean, a lot yeah. of time has passed since PolitiFact started. Yeah. Um, uh, I also um, am rereading Moby Dick, which is one of my ah. favorite novels. I just, awesome. it's such a great novel. It just, it just, I feel like it was way ahead of its time. And there's a lot of aspects of it, like that are, you see in, in current novels, like, you know, yeah, kind of messing with time structure and these weird episodic periods and yeah. talking directly to the reader. It's just really, it's an interesting book. Yeah. And then when Beverly Cleary died recently, I went back and reread some of the Ramona books because I love those so much. I did the same thing. I went right into the library. Those are really amazing. Real yeah, she gets yeah. right. Like she gets so in the, in the child's head. And what was interesting to me is like when I picked up these books again, um, Congress was debating unemployment and unemployment insurance. And we were doing fact checks about it. Yeah. And I picked up Ramona and her father, which is a book about her dad losing his job and mm -hmm. her new job. And mm -hmm. it just, it just really reminded me like these issues are so personal and so yeah. and yeah. like, and that's what great books remind people of, you know, mm -hmm. that it's not just, you know, it's not just a government policy somewhere. It's something that can affect real people's lives. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, I love, I love doing that. I, I loved going back and just reading older titles like that. Yeah. I have a real soft spot for young adult literature too. I mean, I love, that's like, if I really want to just unplug and relax, I go and and grab some YA literature and just kind of lose myself. It's really fun. I do. I, I seriously do the same. I, what did I just, we just read um, Judy Bloom's Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Oh, yeah. Just, just for the heck of it. Yeah. Yeah. Because it came up in conversation and I was like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to go grab that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, Angie, thank you. This has been so great kind of hearing like the mission and what y'all are doing to fight misinformation out there. So thank you for everything that you're doing in your team. And thank you for joining us for a session of the library is open. Oh, well, thank you. This was great fun. I hope we yeah. talk again. Yeah, for sure. <laughs>